At a mission at Mona Mona in North Queensland, Australia, a young man named Rob. Not Ooh, unlike not, myself. Oh, oh. I was but it wasn't me. I thought you were the only Rob ever. Th there's more? Who had been serving as the mission's chief assistant, was in full bloom of health, but fell suddenly and mysteriously ill. The doctor, S.M. Lambert, of the Western Pacific Health Service was called for. The white missionary, baffled by his helper's unexplainable distress, begged the doctor to examine him. Dr. Lambert made a thorough check. He found no fever. Rob complained of no particular pains, and in fact, there were no evident signs of disease whatsoever, except for the fact that Rob appeared very weak and seriously ill. So, like, acting. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he, was, he was in bad shape, man. You were in bad shape? Rob You are Rob. I, it's a different Rob. I can only keep track of yeah, one Rob. So there can be more than Rob. one person with the same name. Mm -hmm. Sounds unlikely. Mm -hmm. The mission was located in a culturally divided part of North Queensland, with converts to the Christian mission making up a sizable community living alongside a similarly significant group of non-convert aboriginals. Among these aboriginals, holding to their native traditions, was a very famous shaman or medicine man named Nebo. That's a good name. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, that one... What's wrong with Rob? Um, you know, it just doesn't have that ring to it like Nebo does. Rob told the missionary that he had been boned. <laughs> he... Sorry. <laughs> I hate getting wait, boned. Wait. <clears throat> yeah. You hate getting boned? Well, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> that so is what does that mean? Can you that explain it... that to me in detail? Now, now. No, that is to say... <laughs> Nebo had pointed a bone at him, and Rob was convinced that this would bring about his very imminent demise. I can't count how many times a bone <laughs> has been pointed at me, and I said, that's it for me. Sorry. That's oh, wow. the end of Your my days life. are numbered. Yep. So the doctor and the missionary, taking Rob's claim seriously, went to Nebo and threatened him. If he did not go with them to see Rob, they would cut off the food the mission was providing to the tribe and drive his people away from their land. Nebo agreed to go with them. Leaning over Rob's sickbed, the shaman told the young convert that the boning had all been a mistake. Oh, <laughs> it happens far too often. It was only said. a joke. <laughs> in truth, he had never pointed any bone at him in the first place. That's what they all say. Yeah. Rob's recovery was almost instantaneous. That very evening, he was back at work, happy and strong as ever. He bounced back after that boning. Do you have rehearsal or... Australian aboriginals and their boning are a form of the evil eye. So to bone is like the evil eye. A way, uh, the evil eye is a way of cursing someone in a way that causes the victim's quick and inevitable demise. That is, unless supernatural means are invoked to stem the flow of life out of their body. The evil eye is the mother of all curses, and it's the first subject of our fourth series here on Occult Confessions. So begins our journey into the wild world of black magic. We are going to devote the next seven episodes to discussing black magic through the ages, from curses to human sacrifice to dark magical conspiracies and satanic murder cults. We'll be spending time with the wickedest man in the world, Aleister Crowley, and discussing the occult beliefs of Hitler's Nazi party, who made ritual and symbolism a central part of their rise to power. I'm just very excited about Aleister Crowley. Uh, oh. We're going to do or... this this whole time. Or Crowley. Cro I will say mm. Crowley. She will say Crowley. Hashtag Team Crowley. It'll be spelled the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the funny part. You were supposed make, like, to a, tell them. Add an emoji. Like a capital O. I just heard Crowley. My name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson. I am a doctor of paranormal culture and occult history and philosophy. I am also the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors who gather twice a month to bring true stories of the supernatural to life to share with our beloved listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us here. Indeed. In well, your cars, you. on your I jog, you. <laughs> while you're cooking dinner. 
rocking your baby to sleep at night. <laughs> Whatever it is you do while you listen to our, our podcast. Someone out there is very like confused. They're like, they know. Rob sees me. <laughs> I'm cooking dinner and rocking my baby. <laughs> I do that a lot. Our little cult uh, is led by our grandmaster, Olivia Literal. That's me. Eat that mic. That's me. Hey, guys. <laughs> Joining our discussion, we've got Shannon Landers. Hello. Jacob Wheatley. Yep. And Savannah Verrett. Hello. We'll also be joined by James Caplanges later in the episode, giving us our brief history. And by later, I mean within the next five minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we want to start today's episode by thanking our new friends, uh, Violet O'Shea, uh, who left a very kind review for us on iTunes, calling us her new occult addiction. Oh, cool. that's like the best compliment. Thanks for listening, Violet. Uh, we're very much appreciative. Uh, and Nicholas also reached out to us on Facebook. Thank you and cheers, Nick. Uh, I if, love you both. We, we would like to encourage our listeners to go ahead and leave us some feedback. Uh, of course, first of all, uh, if you're listening, subscribe to our podcast so you make sure you don't miss one minute of our black magic uh, fun and, and frivolity coming up Ooh. in the next... That's over the next several months. Um, and so subscribe. But also, if you have a moment, just leave us some feedback on any of the platforms you're listening uh, or on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you and uh, give you a shout out here on one of our episodes. Um, and also, while we're on the subject, Patreon is a lovely place <laughs> to show how much you care. It really is. So leave a review so you can show how much you care. But if you if you care, if you still care and you don't know what to do with that care. And you're just like, I have all this care. Go ahead and give us a dollar a month. It would mean so very much to us uh, and, and help encourage us in, in the work that we're doing here. The time that it takes to research and write and edit and gather all these wonderful human beings together to make these episodes uh, is substantial. So uh, uh, just a little bit of, of financial contribution goes a long way in keeping us at it. Okay. <laughs> Um, and, and just one other piece of business uh, I, I have to before we get, we get so going here. So much business. Uh, so much business. <laughs> I'm sorry, Shannon. Let's get to the evil eyes. <laughs> so there are evil eyes to be gazed upon, to gaze upon us. Um, we, this episode is going to be posted on a, with our friends at Queen Anne's County Television, uh, the local television station here. Hmm. Uh, we generally uh, are record at uh, Chesapeake College on the Eastern Shore in the Cadby Theater. Um, but this episode, we also did a recording at the Queen Anne's County Television Station, and you can, if you'd like to w see what we look like while we podcast, mm. you can uh, get that video um, through through any of. We'll, we'll post links on our our various yeah web outlets. I'd like to say they won't be disappointed, but I can't speak for them. There's nothing like the mystery of podcasting, am I right? <laughs> right. Don't, yeah, don't spoil it don't for spoil. yourself. But if you have to, you can do it on Queen Anne's County Television. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Shannon. Yes? We're going to begin now. Okay. The business portion of oh, today's right. meeting is over. Would you like to say indeed? <laughs> indeed. I hereby conclude this business meeting. Yes. And begin I've had this evil <laughs> enough business for this podcast. All right, let's get to it. We, the members of the, of the secret, secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. We're going to situate the evil eye in the larger category of curses that kill. In order to do that, I need to do a little freewheeling classification here, so hold on to your seats, because classification <laughs> is an exciting activity. Everyone just lost their seats. Uh, <laughs> nobody has ever categorized curses that kill in any kind of systematic or scholarly way, so I'm going to be the first by labeling two varieties, the emic and the etic. Etic with a T, is an anthropological term that means the outsider perspective, the view from a distance looking in and trying to make sense of things. Etic curses are ones that we perceive as a potential cause for the victim's demise, but that the victim him or herself was not aware of. Emic, with an M, means the insider perspective. From a cultural standpoint, the emic is the viewpoint of a believer or a tribe's native member. The evil eye is an emic curse because it operates at least in part on the victim's psyche. The victim is aware that he or she has been cursed and believes in the curse. And this is what kills him or her. 
So let's just identify a few famous etic curses with a T in the modern world so that we can get a sense for what that's all about before we try and make sense of the evil eye, which is an emic curse with an M. So today's brief history is devoted to the outsider curse uh, looking in. James, let's uh, go ahead and get to that brief history. Yes, this is a brief history of a few famous modern etic curses that kill. Delightful. Curse number one, Tecumseh and Tippecanoe. 1840 to 1960. Good years. Good indeed, years. Indeed. A lot of good years in there. Indeed, right, Shannon? Yeah. I don't know. Well, but <laughs> I feel like there's, we have some better years. There are definitely years. Yeah. Tecumseh was a Shawnee chief who led an attempt to create an Indian confederacy west of the Ohio River. At the Battle of Tippecanoe, his band of warriors was defeated by American forces fighting under the command of William Henry Harrison. After joining with the after joining with the British during the War of 1812, he was killed fighting in Ontario and his body was mutilated and buried in a mass grave. Double boo. Ew. Harrison won the presidency in 1840 and died of pneumonia while in office. Every president elected on a 20-year cycle was then assassinated or died in office. Abraham Lincoln, elected in 1860, was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. James Garfield, elected in 1880, was assassinated by Charles Gateau. William McKinley, elected 1900, was assassinated by Leon Shulgosh. Warren G. Harding, elected in 1920, died of a heart attack. Yeah, it's less climactic, really. Yeah, but still. Right. Franklin <laughs> Roosevelt, elected 1940, died of a cerebral hemorrhage. But How's he that was for president you? for like... So many years. Yeah, but he could have been present for longer if it didn't happen on this 20-year cycle of death. And finally... He's got a point. The man's John point. F. Kennedy, elected in 1960, was shot in Dallas by Lee Harvey Oswald. That's, that's true. Why did the cycle stop? What, did I miss something? Right, there was an attempt on Reagan's life. Was he the next Failed 20? attempt. Yeah, he would have been the next Oh, 20. wow. So he broke the cycle. Good old Reagan. Always <laughs> 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 Trickle down. Curse number two. Whew. Let's let our conservative fans just enjoy Savannah saying good old Reagan for a second. <laughs> good, old, good old Reagan. Let's just do in that in for a minute. <laughs> You're welcome, conservative <laughs> listeners. Go ahead, James. Curse number two. Tutankhamun's tomb. Cairo, 1922 to 1924. This is a short one. Yeah, yeah. Howard Carter led the excavation of the tomb of Tutankhamun, or King Tut. Thank you. Funded by George Herbert, the fifth Earl of Carnarvon. Or Earl of Carn. Carnarvon. <laughs> While Carter himself didn't suffer any ill effects from the curse, except that his canary was devoured by a cobra. That's, that's pretty bad. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was like on a special day, like the lights went out or something, right? His backer, Carnarvon, died of complications from pneumonia following a mosquito bite after he arrived in Cairo in April of 1923. The lights, like you said, Rob, were supposed to have gone out across the city at that moment, and back in England, his dog dropped dead. It's not the dog's fault. These humans curse their animals. I know. George J. Gould I, son of famous American robber baron J. Gould, developed a fever after visiting the tomb and died on the French Riviera in May 1923. I mean, if you've got to die, though. That's a pretty nice place to die. The Riviera. Poetic. Archibald Douglas Reed, who x-rayed Tutankhamun's mummy, died of a mysterious illness in 1924. And A.C. Mace, who assisted on Carter's excavation team, died of arsenic poison in 1928. It may be that the tomb cursed anyone who dared to breach it, but what to make of Carter's immunity, or that of many other people involved in the excavation? We could just say that it's made up. We could. Wow. Oh, we, that, that we I could. thought we were here to prove yeah, that, that we, we, no, we have not. a different message, maybe. I'm not uh, actually a big fan of the Eddick curses. I think they're kind of silly. Well, that's your opinion, so Rob. So it's a conspiracy, <laughs> then. No, it's not a conspiracy. Oh, no. It's just okay. silly. He's got to shut that thought down. 
Well, we get are a, not a conspiracy podcast. Get a load of this one, then. We are okay? a podcast that has conspiracy people mumbling into the mic occasionally. Uh, that you made Grandmaster. Aye. Curse number three. Listen well. <laughs> this is the story of the Poltergeist trilogy. This is my favorite. 1982 to 1988. Now those are some good years. Yeah. The Reagan years, if you will, Savannah. <laughs> oh, yes. Great. I thought we only gave him one time to basket. 2042 It's probably the best year. Listen well. Four actors involved in the making wrong. of the Poltergeist series in 1980s died during the course of the film's production and release, for those of you who do not know this. According to, it's big news. According to Joe Beth Williams, who played Diane Freeling, the production team used real skeletons, film, filming a scene in which her character confronts the bodies buried under the house. The legend is that the spirits of these remains ooh, exacted revenge for their exploitation. Two of the four were relatively natural deaths. Julian Beck, better known to theater students as one of the most productive avant-garde theater artists of the 20th centuries, who founded the hippie caravanning Living Theater, along with Judith Molina, died of stomach cancer in 1985, just months before the release of Poltergeist 2, in which he played the evil spirit Cain. In 1987, the Native American actor Will Sampson, who also appeared in Poltergeist 2, died after receiving a heart and lung transplant. The two more mysterious deaths happened to the actors playing the female children of the fictional Freeling family. The first Poltergeist was released in June. In November, Dominique Dunn, who played the big sister Donna Freeling, Dana, Dana, Donna, Dana, We're Donna, Dana, Dana, Freeling, Dana, Dana Freeling, was choked into a coma by her boyfriend John Sweeney, not cool, God damn. who was convicted of voluntary manslaughter and only served just under four years for the crime. Hmm. Wait, voluntary manslaughter? Isn't that just murder? No. No, he, there was like a drawing and he said, no, I'll volunteer to manslaughter. <laughs> no. Okay, continue, my bad. Heather O'Rourke, who started the series when she was six, died of septic shock caused by a bowel obstruction at the age of 12 during the filming of the third Poltergeist. And that's a brief history of modern Eddie curses that kill. Dark stuff, James. Dark stuff. Maybe that just means we shouldn't make three of a horror film. Ever? Yeah. What about Saw? Well, they has got like 10 of them. Some of them didn't even make it to the second one. Yep, we should probably just only do one. I think one. I might agree with you on that. I'm trying to think if there are any there are, three horror movies that uh, I'm... Three is pushing it. Two I might give some to, but, you know. You're kidding. You're <laughs> kidding. J James has run from the microphone with his arms above his head because he <laughs> has to coughing. cough. <laughs> the same right. thing happened while we were filming at QAC TV. Yeah, this is, this is a bizarre this is a occurrence. The, polter, the poltergeists... Are, are with you. <laughs> All right, these are etic curses because the people affected did not know that they were being cursed. That's a weird coincidence. Hmm. And, and you did the exact same thing. Arms up. Arms up, like Dracula. And in the case, <laughs> in the case of the presidential assassinations or Dominique Dunn's killing, their knowledge had nothing to do with the death itself. So it's not like Dominique Dunn knew she would die and then she died because she knew this. Demise came from outside. Commentators looking back on the events surrounding presidential assassinations, the opening of King Tut's tomb, and the filming of Poltergeist have determined that there's an unfortunate coincidence surrounding the victims. While the coincidences are bizarre and tempt us to try and create an explanation, disgruntled enemies, or real human skeletons, there's no way to know if any, there's any actual causal connection between a curse and these events. Emic curses, with an M. On the other hand, are another story. In the genre of curses that kill, the emic variety are responsible for a unique psychophysical phenomenon. Any, anyone, no one's impressed by that word? Phenomenon? I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> I totally you can't miss. see, but Rob is personally offended right now. Yes. The psychophysical oh, okay. phenomenon is called hex death. 
The victim of an Emic curse both knows that she has been cursed and believes sincerely in the reality of the curse. The victim shares a cultural framework with her supernatural assailant, and barring any indication that the curse has been lifted, it almost always results in the victim's death. In Europe, evil eye traditions are associated with reproduction. <laughs> Our listeners are going to benefit from the fact that we're not on cable access television as we record this, because we're going to give the, the full explanation of how evil eye traditions work in Europe with your uterus. The <laughs> evil eye is often given unintentionally by an older single woman who is unaware that the power to bestow the curse, what Italians call the jettatore, has been passed through her family line. So you don't even know that you've got the evil eye. Hmm. Damn it. I'm Italian? I'm Same. part Italian. Oh, no. You might have it. Don't, you know. The curse generally falls on babies, children, pregnant women, and young brides. Have you looked upon any of these lately, Savannah? Uh, I don't, wait, what? I can't believe that was the list. There's a lot of people in that list. Babies, children, pregnant women, or young brides. Quite a few, actually. You've looked on all of them. Everyone that's not male, I guess. Did any of this happen? A mother's milk-filled breasts might dry up. How could you, you ask her? <laughs> or a baby <laughs> might suddenly give up eating and become fussy and colicky after an encounter with one such woman. Oh, that's no. rude. My baby brother, well, he's not a baby anymore. <laughs> he doesn't like to eat a lot of food. He How old is he? Seven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's your fault. Um, these ailments, then, can only be remedied by the intervention of an elder familiar with diagnosing and treating what the Italians call malocchio. I like that word. This lines up pretty closely with witch traditions going back to the late medieval period and is distinctly European. You should see our episode on the, the pagans, the first episode of our, our feminism, our lady magic series. Lady magic. 2.1. Um, the power of unwed women to work evil magic on the reproduction of humans and other species was a fantasy, but a well-documented one in books like the Malleus Maleficarum. Extending the sexual connotations of the eye, Alan Berger, a uh, scholar, talks about wetness mm. being a way to ward the eye off <laughs> because the eye itself is a drying up of the reproductive organs. Wait, so like it's saying that if a woman doesn't have sex for an extended period of time, she will start cursing anyone she like approaches. No, where did you no. get that? I don't know. <laughs> Shannon's interpretation. <laughs> she she is just getting like shriveled up. I'm like, so ah. tired, guys. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Who's the, cursing the Italian eye, women or cursing women? If you have the evil eye, you can dry up other people's reproductive organs. But Italian women have the evil eye. Could they could not all of them? You could. You're not Italian. <laughs> you don't have to like worry about giving someone the evil eye. So because of this wetness situation, me the evil <laughs> you might make a cross and spit on the forehead of a cursed baby to prevent them from getting the evil eye. Because, you see, wetness okay. wards off or the just eye. Just give out some oh. eye drops. James. James. In the Greek tradition, before a bride walks down the aisle, her mother will probably spit on her as well. And sometimes the people in the rows will, will do a tu-tu at the bride because everyone's looking at her Same to idea. ward off yeah, the evil eye. Yeah, that's interesting, yes. yeah. It does ward off the evil eye because you're wet. Yes, yeah, so you'll see that in my Big Fat Greek Wedding, and that's where it comes from. No one is spitting on me ever, <laughs> especially not on my wedding day. As with witch accusations, this version of the evil eye is not provable and probably based in a human weakness for scapegoating. Milk production can be del delicate, babies are fragile in utero and out, and sex is complicated. Right? Am I right? Yep. Am I right, ladies? Right, ladies. <laughs> Often the accusation or suspicion of the evil eye happens after the unfortunate event. A man can't achieve an erection. Evil eye. Huh. A woman can't achieve the lady version of an erection. A lube action. Ah. A lubric, a lubric, a lubric action. This, yeah, this like was men blaming a lot of their problems. Well, yeah, but a woman <laughs> could do it too. You could be like, my dry vagina is all your fault, this one, evil eye. Oh, yeah. instead of blaming her husband. The first woman I was with, we it wasn't working out. So then we both said, this just must be the evil eye. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> and then the unhappy couple... Goes around looking for a witch to blame. This has got the cart and the flaccid horse reversed, though, my friends. 
He said flaccid horse. Let's, uh, <laughs> sorry. For comparison, let's look at a case that gets the order the right way around. So, okay, so my flaccid horse. What I'm saying is that in these cases, you have the problem and then you look around for the cause. Oh, this must be the evil eye. You're going backwards rather than knowing you have the evil eye and then that causes the response. In his book, Symptoms of Unknown Origin, Clifton Meter reports on an episode at a segregated all-black hospital in the South in 1938 where a 60-year-old African-American man... Uh, who Meter calls Vanders, checked in for treatment. Vanders had lost 50 pounds and was wasting away. The doctor on call... What are you... What's, I'm that's sorry. Not the way you word it is like, he calls him Vanders. Like, that's just his name, right? No, no, that's what he called him. It's, it's a pseudonym to protect the innocent oh, okay. Vanders. Because Vanders doesn't come off... Like so he just it's a, didn't like his name. He, like, went with Vanders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. What should we call you? You know, that reminds me, uh, James has earned a special title we didn't give him. We got to give James a special title today. Yeah, so we've decided uh, on the subject of names that we're going to begin distributing titles. Olivia and I are the only members of the group that have titles right now. (laughs) I like But we're going to open things up here. We were like, (laughs) Shannon, what should we name you? Oh, we need a name for James. Yes. <laughs> Your time will come. Yeah, don't, you gotta wait. Don't well, get greedy, right. man. All right, you're right. So, uh, James, we've we've decided that your name, uh, your title within mm-hmm. the alchemical actress from, from henceforward yes. shall be Captain. Yes, Captain, Captain like of the table. Of the table. Table aye, Captain. Aye. That's you. I'm Captain of the table. We'll insert some sort of nautical sound effect here. And also table sound effect. Should we do a chant for And him? a table sound effect, yes. A Captain sound effect of, of the, the table. table. Captain of the table. <laughs> okay. That's it's more of a small musical number. Yes. Um, so back to, Va- back to Vanders, a pseudonym to protect the innocent, was wasting away. The doctor on call, a Dr. Doherty, that's his real name, suspected that it was either tuberculosis or cancer. But thorough analysis revealed signs of neither. The Mm. man wouldn't eat, and he couldn't hold down food, even though it was given to him through a tube. He got closer and closer to death, and finally his wife asked Dr. Doherty if she could take him aside for a private conversation. As it turns out, the man had run afoul of a voodoo priest. After the priest, who we'll call Tremont, not his real name, had summoned him to the cemetery to perform some sort of ritual. There was an argument, and Tremont, the priest, waved a bottle at Vanders, cursing him and swearing that he would die soon, no matter what any medical doctor tried to do to save him. Boned. He was boned. Yeah, he was boned. Mm. Vanders quit eating that very night. His wife had kept the story a secret for fear the priest would curse her and her children as well. Dr. Drayton Doherty summoned all of the man's family together and told them a story. Ma'am, I know exactly what's wrong with your husband. Suspecting you'd run afoul of one of the voodoo doctors known to practice in these parts, I arranged to meet the priest here, Mr. Tremont, last night on the pretense of selling some hens my wife raises in our yard. I told him I knew what he'd done to you, and I wanted to know from his own lips what he'd done. Of course, he refused, so I grabbed him by the collar and held him against a tree until he confessed. That voodoo priest rubbed some lizard eggs into your stomach, and they climbed down into your real stomach and hatched out some small lizards. All but one of them died, leaving one large one which is eating up all your food and the lining of your body. I will now get that lizard out of your system and cure you of this horrible curse. The doctor gave Vanders a shot to induce vomiting and snuck a lizard into the basin when he was too busy retching to see what was happening. Mm. Oh. Mm-mm. Nope. Don't like that. You don't no, like No, thank you. Lizards in your basins? I like to keep my basin strictly without lizards. I know there's a sign up, a picture of a lizard. It says no lizards. And a big X through it. Like the circle with no. the red circle with like a On all slash. your basins. It's your treatment plan all right there. All of my basins. Gotcha. Well, we'll remember that. Yes. In case you don't have the sign handy yeah, and there's a basin if nearby. If you see a lizard. He showed the lizard to Vanders and announced that he had been cured. So, while the doctor's cure 
was it? See, it worked out for him. Are you I'm sure? Okay, with curing. Okay, so if a lizard will cure you in your basin, then you'll let I one in. I just don't want to know about it. You'll <laughs> see it. But the point is, he had to know about it. While the doctor's cure was a bit ridiculous, the curse itself was not. If Doherty hadn't been so creative, Vanders would have very likely died of the voodoo doctor's curse. Vander believed in the culture and power of voodoo, and he knew that he had been cursed. This precipitated a psychophysical response that nearly killed him. Doherty was clever enough to know that Vanders was suffering from a psychophysical malady. Is the, is the word impressing you more each time yeah. or less? Oh, definitely. Yes. Which Whatever more... you say, dear leader. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, and that malady was brought on by voodoo. Um, nothing that standard medicine could do could help Vanders. Only voodoo, the way Doherty sort of like appropriated it, could answer voodoo. Another fascinating voodoo death involves a young woman who ran into a Baltimore has- hospital, hysterical, three days before her 23rd birthday. This Wait. brings us closer to home here in Baltimore. Our Baltimore, yeah. Our Baltimore wow. yes. Wow. We're, only. We're going there this weekend. Yeah. Oh, cool. I wonder if we'll see her. <laughs> no, you won't, and I'll tell you why. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Spoiler. Oh. Please, you've got to help me. Please, somebody. Sit down here. I'm gonna die. I'm, I'm gonna die. Take some deep breaths for me. Are you injured? Can you tell me if you're feeling any pain? Yes. No. I don't know. You've got to believe me. I've been cursed. Cursed? How do you mean? A midwife, reported as a voodoo practitioner. So the midwife was supposed to have been a voodoo practitioner. Although some kind of voodoo itself was unlikely given the geography of the story. Voodoo is really native only to certain parts of the country. Do and, you get, and... like, a certificate with, if you're... when you become a voodoo? Let, let us know. What? I'm sorry. Go down I'm to sorry. Louisiana. When, after you've right. achieved voodoo certification, I want you to let us know yeah, if I you get an actual piece of paper online? or not. Like, uh, I don't, an online? You can get ordained yeah, online. Yeah, I know you can become uh, a priest hoodoo online. HoodooVoodoo.com? <laughs> hey, next... don't mix the two up. It's hoodoo, you do. Voodoo. Wow. <laughs> but hoodoo, it, right, rightly so. So hoodoo or something like it was probably more likely because yeah. um, this app happened actually in, in, uh, in Georgia. This midwife delivered the girl who had run into the Baltimore hospital as well as two others on a Friday the 13th in Georgia's Okefenokee Swamp. (laughs) Sounds like a fake place. Yeah, Yeah, I did that right. She either cursed or predicted the deaths of all three girls who she delivered on that day. The first wouldn't live to be 16. She died in a car accident when she was 15. The second, the voodoo midwife said, wouldn't live to be 21. She was shot in a nightclub the night before her 21st birthday. And this girl, you probably have guessed it by now, would not live to see 23. But no unfortunate accident befell our third victim. They admitted the girl for observation, but the next day she was found dead in her hospital bed. Cause of death unknown. Hmm. That's crazy. So did they know that the um, midwife had, like, foretold these things yeah the girl was telling this story okay but there was nothing they could do to stop her from dying oh wow she was in bed they were like yeah you're fine and then the next day gone hmm. because she believed right. that death yeah. was coming for her and that she could not live well, to see her 23rd birthday because the midwife had predicted that and the other ones knew too huh did the other girls know too that they were like die on those days well, the one was shot, so there was nothing she could do to yeah. stop it. Yeah, so it, it wouldn't matter. Um, pretty much, she had predicted it, and because the other two deaths had come true, mm-hmm. that's what convinced the third girl that she, she yeah. was not going to be able to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't want to give us the wrong impression with these stories. Hex death is not actually limited to Aboriginal tribes or southern swamps. People who have no connection to a tradition of hex death can suffer from the same fate. Dr. James Mathis gives a case report of a man, Mr. X, not his real name, Shannon. <laughs> but how cool would that have been? Yeah. Who was going in and out of hospitals with severe epileptic and asthmatic fits. After treatment, he would feel better, and then he'd, the doctor would send him home to his mother's house, where his condition would rapidly decline again. He was first admitted in January of 1916. He was dead by August, with bronchial tubes full of mucus. Mm. He was 53 years old. He had only gotten as far as the eighth grade because he had to look after his younger, mentally handicapped brother. With your brother away at college and your father, God rest his soul, six feet underground, you've got to be the man of the house from now on. Do you understand? 
There won't be any more time for dawdling in the schoolhouse. Book learning is for little boys who've got no responsibilities, like your older brother. You've got to help me look after the little one. You know he can't help himself, and you can see how busy I am with the housework. He had a very domineering mother who Mr. X believed was more or less infallible, and who had correctly predicted the end of both of his marriages before he turned 31, not unlike our Baltimore girl who saw the correct prediction by the midwife twice. There's no two ways about it, son. That girl is a tramp. If she isn't pointing her heels at the ceiling in the back room of the laundromat, she's on the front porch trying to coax the milkman to deliver direct to her bedroom door. His mother helped him run a successful nightclub before and during the war, and ran the club by herself when he himself was away fighting in 1938. After the Second World War, he married a teacher ten years younger than him, and they had a son. And uh, they continued to run the club. But then in November of 1959, someone made an offer on the business. Our man, Mr. X, stood to make a nice profit, but his mother did not want to part with the club. And after he accepted the offer, she was not pleased. Do this, son, and something dire will happen to you. Mark my words, something will strike you. Strike you down right where you stand. Days later, he began coughing and wheezing, having not suffered so much as a head cold in 10 years. On January 2nd, the sale was complete, and two days later, he was rushed to the emergency room. On the day that he died, he was on the phone with his mother, telling her about a new business he was about to invest in, and that he wouldn't be needing her help on this next venture. All she did was remind him of the dire consequences he was bound to suffer from the sale of the club. He was dead within the hour. Whoa. We'll let Dr. Mathis give some meaning to this account. Psychological death, whether by the weird incantations of a primitive shaman or by the malevolent wish of a thwarted mother, is a difficult thing for a scientifically trained physician to accept. Whatever name it is given, it seems evident that such things may occur in a more complex, although less dramatic form in our modern civilization. The influence of the mother's death wish in this case can be regarded at least as a triggering mechanism for the asthmatic attacks. Walter B. Cannon, writing for the American Anthropologist in 1942, was one of the first to theorize hex death, which he called rather misleadingly voodoo death, following pop cultural legends about Afro-Caribbean curses, but as we've seen, there are all kinds of cultural backgrounds that can lead to a kind of hex death. Indeed. After observing a series of unexplained deaths in Australia, New Zealand, Africa, Brazil, Polynesia, British wow. Guyana, Guyana, not not New Guinea, just British hmm. British Guyana. Well, you, Guinea, you say. <laughs> I don't. I don't you actually don't, no, say no, Guinea. No, no, you said Guinea. You can't take it back. It I think intention. I might have heard I Guinea. Yeah, yeah everyone her. else said they heard Guineas. Yeah. Not going to lie, I heard Do Guinea. Do you know what else is a Guinea? <laughs> pigs. <laughs> pigs. Guinea pigs. Do you know what Guinea pigs really are? What, what they really are. Wait, yeah. In their souls. <laughs> No, so, like, I just want to explain the connection between the guinea pig and the corgi. Wait, I'm sorry, you said the what? The guinea pig and the corgi. The corgi. Yes, they are both furry animals. What is this? Yes, the corgi dog. Is this a hex death thing? Uh, um, Maybe. I'm just saying, guinea pigs are long creatures with fur and tiny little legs. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't have pointy noses like corgis. No, see, evolution. But they're not dogs. (laughs) Corgis also furry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Legs, and they both have little nubby tails. <laughs> May I go on? What do you have? Need I go you have on? More? No, you don't need. Go you need on? not. I go have on. a whole PowerPoint. It's just our <laughs> listeners won't be able to see it. We'll post that up though, if you if you'd like. Hmm. Patreon. <laughs> Uh, it's calling your bluff there. <laughs> no, uh, I have it. It's just like, which PowerPoint do you want? I oh, have so I, many. right. She's well, got to so, like transfer to a PDF. Don't like, wait for like, that. That's yeah. coming it's later. It's kind of like a face-to-face interaction I need. British so Guyana <laughs> and Haiti. He compared the cases of death by curse, like the case of young Rob, who we opened the episode with, to that of soldiers who died of shock during the First World War. He cited the experience of a surgeon named Wallace. Wallace described the case of two soldiers, one who was buried when a shell exploded near him, the other when he lit a fire over an unexploded shell igniting it. In both cases, the shells exploded but didn't kill the men. 
They had only superficial injuries, but the terror of the experience pitched them into shock that ultimately killed them. They didn't die of any physical harm, but the fear it induced in them killed them. They were convinced that the shell would kill them, and so it did. Hmm. Oh, wow. I've never heard of anything like that before. I mean, like, I've, I guess I've heard of shock killing people. I don't know. Ooh. Just hearing it explained like that is crazy. I mean, you yeah. could argue that miracles are the same thing, right? In reverse. Um, yeah, uh-huh. It's like a heightened version of just you worry yourself to let you get sick. It's just the next step. <laughs> The question which now arises is whether an ominous and persistent state of fear can end the life of a man. Fear, as is well known, is one of the most deeply rooted and dominant of the emotions. Often, only with difficulty can it be eradicated. Associated with it are profound physiological disturbances widespread throughout the organism. Colin Andrew Ross, drawing on the work of Rupert Sheldrake, argued in the journal Anthropology of Consciousness that there's actually a physical basis to the evil eye. Let's talk about Sheldrake first. Sheldrake demonstrated that human beings and animals have a sense of being stared at. Somehow, we know when someone is looking at us, even though we have our backs turned. Everyone now in my podcast (laughs) circle is staring intently at each other. I felt it though, I did. Yeah, but so, we just ended up looking at each other. Have you ever been in this situation where you're, you know, sitting somewhere, I don't know, with your back to, I don't know, a door, and you can feel someone standing in the door looking at you? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or that someone's yes. come into the room and is watching, even though you didn't hear them? Yeah. There's that song, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Yeah. Somebody's watching me. There we yep. go. And I got no Goes like that. Oh, easy now. <laughs> easy now. <laughs> copyright. 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 <laughs> anyway. Mm. Um, None of our physical senses, as I'm saying, are telling us that someone is looking at us, but somehow we have a sixth sense that it's happening. We don't really define this as a sixth sense, but it's something we're all familiar with, and and I think we've all had the experience of it. In laboratory conditions using special goggles, fun, right? Ross Mm -hmm. proved the existence of, here you go, ocular extramission. Oh, boy. The eyes emit an electromagnetic energy that scientific instruments are able to detect. Like Superman. This, yeah, it's kind of like Superman. Yeah. This has some interesting implications for where belief in the evil eye is strongest. Now, here's this is wild. Ross believes it's possible that proximity to geographic regions with stronger natural electromagnetic radiation might cause certain groups to have stronger belief or functionality of the evil eye. So in other words, if you live in an area that has lots of electromagnetic rays going through it, you will have a more powerful evil eye. You'll have a more powerful eye. Um, In the Western world, by contrast, all the electrical and magnetic signals that come off of our devices dilute the power of Mm -hmm. our ocular extramission, so we don't actually feel it as much. Hmm. For Emily Williams (laughs) Kelly... Hex death or the evil eye is just one of many phenomena that prove a holistic unity between mind and body. As we discussed in our episode on mindless zombies and thinking fruit, you'll recall that's the third episode of our third series, there's a strong tradition in the Western world. Is the staring still happening? Yep, it's (laughs) still staring. (laughs) I don't like the way Jacob's looking at me. You looked at me first. There's a strong... We're having a conversation. <laughs> Over the evil eye. Are you evil eyeing each other? Yes. It's just sort of stink eye. Do we counterbalance? What happens oh. if two people are trying to give <laughs> Does it like evil eye, the evil eye at the same time? Are they both cursed or do they just like meet in the middle and they like... Is it like when Voldemort and Harry Potter have yes. battle? Whoever has the strongest evil eye wins. Our minds and bodies aren't actually separate. In fact, they're deeply united. What we believe and how we think has a profound influence on our health. This can lead to some dangerous territory, like blaming sick people for their illness because they aren't positive enough. Hmm. It's true that stress makes illness worse, and good feelings can make the body function better, but feelings alone, except in very extreme and unusual cases, cannot prevent serious illnesses or cure them. We'll save questions of faith healing for our white magic series, or whatever we end up doing about Ugh. white magic. Oh, no. No, it's fine. <laughs> talk about, we'll talk about healing next year. Uh, yeah. But the question Aww. stands, is the evil eye real? Can one person curse another person to die? To answer this question uh, in one of my courses uh, that I teach here at the college, I do an exercise with my students where I ask what they feel like when they fail a test. But I'll change the terms around to fit our wider audience at many stages of life. 
Suppose you woke up tomorrow morning and went to check your bank account that had five or fifteen or fifty fifty thousand dollars in it to the day before, but was completely empty. How would you feel, Jacob? Well, I mean, like, I <laughs> well, I first off would wish that that would happen. That you would have the money. I, in my current situation, yes. But, but then it's gone the next day. Then I would be very upset and feel sick. You'd feel sick. You'd feel nauseous. Yeah. Sweaty hands. Because, like, imagine, like, that much money just... <laughs> Poof. <laughs> I don't believe that people could possibly own that much money. <laughs> True. Because as a college student, when I... My max is, like, $50. <laughs> yep. 50 cents. Well, see, but if that $50 just disappeared... I would cry. We would never eat again. <laughs> I would cry. Would you would feel... You feel physically ill when yeah. such a thing's happen. You have an extreme stress response. But what are you responding to? It's just numbers on a screen. Or a bank book, if you still do things the old-fashioned way. It's really just numbers. Money isn't even a physical thing anymore. Like, it's just, right, we all just have numbers, and your number goes up when you work, and it goes down That's when you crazy. pay for things, right? We don't even see the yeah. dollars anymore. Mm. Um, so losing my numbers precipitates the same response our cavemen and cavewoman ancestors might have had to discovering a rattlesnake in their giddy-up. <laughs> in their giddy-up? I don't know. In, in their what way. What is their giddy up? Boots. Yes. In Can their boots. You use There's it in a sentence, another sentence. Boot. A, a giddy up? Boot. Yeah, giddy up. My giddy up has a rattlesnake in it. Oh no. I still don't know what a giddy up Oh no. Is. Get the rattlesnake out of my giddy up. Any of these Your helping you? Get out of Your my rattlesnake. The point I'm oh. trying to make uh, <laughs> are that rattlesnakes can kill you, but numbers can't. Well, I mean. That's Physically debatable. it can't, but like that's your livelihood that's just going away. So in that sense, you lose all that money, you could die. But the whole system is, is social, Jacob, is what I'm trying I'm to say. I'm so yeah. caught up on the giddy-up. Yeah. No one has answered me. Buying food at the grocery store and owning a piece of land that isn't really yours because ownership itself is a social fiction is what we're using the numbers for, right? Yeah. Ah. Mm -hmm. A contract we've made up that squirrels and owls and cave people cannot even begin to understand, let alone honor. So social we're worried about contract. these numbers Bullshit. because we've created a social system that values the numbers, that pegs our survival on the numbers. But it's all just a social fact. None of it's actually real in the way a rattlesnake is real. Everything was like made up. You could, but, but see, but we're saying that we want these social things. We want these social, we want the house and we want, you know, to make numbers and to spend numbers. And that's how it, that's what it means to be alive and to be in this society. But that's, that's all just the standards that we've established for ourselves. We could just as easily make ourselves a roof with leaves and sticks out in the forest. Uh, you know, get some logs and some mud, put up some walls and mm. grow our own food and go catching it in the stream. Uh, but instead, you come to my like occult class and learn about all that crazy stuff and philosophy and history, and rather than learning how to catch fish and you know survive, mm, no. build a fire. You see, I forage for all my food because college students. She yeah. forages in the fridge. If you had survival skills, these kind of survivalist skills that none of us bother with or value really in our culture, compared to knowing how to move numbers around, right? We our finance people make the most money, and all they do is just move numbers around. They don't, there's no actual thing they do hmm. beyond the numbers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But th so they, oh, life is alive. they would be in big trouble <laughs> if they had to like do stuff with sticks and, and fire and fishing lines. <laughs> that should be a TV show. You just make them do it. Wait, that's Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> the, the numbers give us physical pain because we give them power and meaning. The same way Mr. Vanders gave the voodoo doctor power and Mr. X gave his mother power. The systems and the people we give power to have the power to influence our mental and physical well-being. The occultism of this, the secret power we can only ever strive to control but can never fully manage, is that we can't very easily choose who or what we give power to. The act of giving power, of investing meaning, happens deep inside ourselves. We don't consciously decide to buy into the American dream of the house and the two trips a week to Whole Foods and the two and a half children and the sport utility vehicle. Two and a half children? With individual screens for every bucket seat. <laughs> the act of buying into that whole social vision happens without us knowing we're doing it. And it takes great effort, great occult power to break that bond when it's hurting us. When our mother or father or sibling or loving lover is poisoning our life. 
or when the values of our culture, the materialism, the egotism, the capitalism, the medical-industrial complex aren't serving us, but making us miserable. It's just like the evil eye. A culture has this belief system that feeds it, that makes it function, that gives meaning and value to these people's lives, but it can also poison them. We're no different. If the evil eye shows us the danger of investing belief in any single system or person, it also shows us how healthy it can be to have alternative options, other ways to believe, new questions to break old patterns of believing. That, in many ways, is why I personally podcast The Occult. For me, The Occult is a never-ending quest for new ways of defining our existence, and a good occultist is never satisfied with anything like a final answer, a final system, a final belief that can, when we least expect it, betray, and murder us. The occultist is always looking for new ways to believe, new ways to influence and shape his or her own beliefs, to get closer to a truth beyond the physical world. Bring us on home, Olivia. That's wow. all I got to say. I'm dropping Mike, the mic here. Drop, but don't, because it's expensive yeah, in our right. Patreon. We're going to need it for the next yeah. seven episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hereby adjourn and declare closed this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time happens or we get together and we do it again. You're so close that time. You were so close to having that. Yeah, I started paying attention to Jacob's face. Right. That, that'll, that'll do it. <laughs> he must have cursed you. The radiance of his eyes. Well, he kind of just started like shrinking away slowly. <laughs> yeah, he does that sometimes. Well, That's how I yeah. leave rooms. <laughs> I'm adjourning us. Okay, we had Johnny Cook, uh, we had uh, Ray Candela, Lucy Bond, Brandon Walls, and Morgan Jung in, in our cast of characters today. Uh, James Kaplangis d- uh, did our, our brief history and, and, and sat here captaining our table for, for a bit this evening. It was my honor. And we're honored to have you, as always, Uh, Shannon was here uh, doing whatever it is she does. (laughs) Yes. Thanks, Shannon, (laughs) for all that. (laughs) Jacob Wheatley, Wheatley, given the evil eye. Yep, that's my thing. That's why he's here. That's why. Savannah Verrett. Hello. I'm sorry, goodbye. (laughs) I thought you were going to say something, so I was waiting. Still the most normal. The most normal. Of Ray, all. Reagan fan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Olivia Literal. Not a Reagan fan, but... My, my name is Rob. We delight in appealing to listeners of all political stripes <laughs> and backgrounds. Uh, this is our Black Magic series, and our next episode we will be exploring uh, the wonders of human sacrifice ah, and the moral quandaries therein. Uh, yes. So again, sacrifice. subscribe, tell your friends, visit our Patreon page, and we look forward to speaking with you in our next episode of Occult Confessions. Bye. Bye. <laughs>